All right, so we're going to jump into sermon this morning. If you uh, are awake, then just kind of wave at me, let me know that you're awake. If you're online, say hello, let us know that you're locked in and with us, right? Again, um, we celebrate Thanksgiving this weekend and just excited. Um, although normally you might get together with others and have a meal, so it might be a little different, but we can still be thankful. So, um, well, this morning we are starting a new series called Basics. And kind of the subtitle is, we're going to be talking about the beliefs that shape our lives. And so what we want to do, I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview this morning before we get into today's topic and subject, but it's this. We want to connect what we believe, so I'll just point to our heads, right? We want to connect what we believe with how we live, right? And our goal through this over the next handful of weeks is to make doctrine and theology practical. Now, if you just heard me say doctrine, doctrine and theology and you're like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Hang on, pump the brakes a little bit. Right? Don't panic, right? Let me define that a little bit. Doctrines are simply particular truths about God, about humanity, and about the world. Theology is simply the study of the nature of God. Um, there was this Puritan guy born in the 1500s, his name's William Ames, and he said this. He says, theology is not just thinking towards God, it is living towards God. Right? It's meant to be practical. So the fact that we can learn and grow in our understanding and our knowledge of God shouldn't just be something that like, makes us smarter. Right? Maybe it will, but it should change the way that we live. Right? It's meant to be practical. It's not just head knowledge. Um, there's a guy, um, and you're going to hear me quote him multiple times this morning, so just lock in. Right? So it was a, a pastor who, who passed away in the last century. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He, he was a Welsh pastor. Um, but he, he said this. He said, doctrine should start in the head, catch fire in the heart, and create a life of flame with true obedience to God. Right? This series, as we go through this, you'll see that's, that's the point. That as we learn and grow and expand, okay, what do we understand about God and about the world, about what God is doing in the world? It changes the way that we live. So as we go through this basics series, it's meant to be an overview. We will not get to everything. We will not address every subject or every topic. Um, and we will not address every depth of every topic, right? Um, but that's where we're heading with this. And so why, why this series? Why are we doing this? I think it's because we often, as humans, we attempt to disconnect our beliefs from our actual life. When in reality, our beliefs and the way that we live are inseparable. Right? We can say that we believe something, and yet we can go do something else and live in a different way. And when we do that, it actually, it only just reveals what we actually do believe. Right? Think about that. The way that you actually live is backed up by what you actually truly believe deep in your heart, no matter what you say you believe. Right? Same for me, same for you. The way we live is revealing what we truly believe about something. Right? So what we believe shapes what we do, right? Example, if someone warned me and ran up to me and said, don't drink that coffee, there's poison in it, right? My belief about the truth or untruth of that will determine if I continue drinking this coffee or not. Maybe. I drink coffee in pretty much any situation or scenario. So I'm, you know, if someone said there was poison in here, I might be like, oh, I'll, I'll risk it. I'll be okay, right? But no, you get the point, right? If I believe, okay, I believe there's poison here, then I'm going to say, I'm not going to drink that. But if I don't believe them, then I'm going to say, whatever, I'm going to drink it anyways, right? And so our beliefs impact the way that we actually live. And this matters to how we live our day-to-day -day lives because it will impact the decisions that we make. And so 
for this whole series, kind of the main idea about this whole series is this, is that our beliefs about God and his creation will determine the way that we live. Our beliefs about God and his creation will determine the way that we live. So if you're familiar with a little bit of church history and you kind of think if you've been around church, um, we have these things called creeds, right? So the Apostles' Creed begins with this phrase, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We think about this and we say, okay, so who is this God? And that's what we'll be getting into today. I want to take a really quick side note, okay, and say this, that when I talk about God this morning, I am talking about the Christian belief in the triune God, that there are three persons, the Trinity, in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now, I say that because I'm not going to be diving deep into this concept of the Trinity today, but I wanted to point that out, that as I'm talking about this God this morning, I'm talking about God, the Trinity, this three-in-one God. Now, it's quite a task to talk about the nature of God in one sermon, right? Because this really is a lifetime and centuries of lifetimes, right? So this today will be a big picture view. And so what I want to invite you to do is I want, as we go through this whole series, I want to invite you to read and study and learn along with us. Um, and so we actually did on our website, if you go to the Renaissance website and click on sermons, the, there's a picture that says basics, and there's a link of some other resources that we've put together. That if you want to go and read, there's things for kids, there's things for um, like older kids and younger kids, there's things for adults, and there's things that you can read and kind of study as we go along through this. And so um, all of those, we, we don't like, we don't get any money for like, I don't know, this is a total side note, but all of them we, uh, we highly recommend. So you can um, study and learn along with us, all right? So those, those are on our website, or you can just ask, ask one of us to help you navigate to where that is, and we will help point you in that direction. We're talking about God this morning. Now here's our problem. Based on what we believe about God, we do one of two things. We either overestimate what we can do, or we underestimate what God can do. Think about it this way. If you have if you have a wrong view of God, it will shape the way you live. If you believe that God is cruel and harsh and angry, then you'll do one of two things. You'll either just like distance yourself from him, fearful of displeasing him, like God's going to throw a lightning bolt at me or whatever, or you're always afraid of punishment, or you will simply just hate and resent him and run for him and push him away. Right? If your belief about God is that he is cruel and angry, if you believe that God is basically kind of like Santa Claus or a big grandfather in the sky, then you will think that he basically exists for you, right? And if you are good, he'll give you whatever you want. If you believe that God is distant and not involved in our daily lives, then you will likely view God as mostly irrelevant to your life. Right? You see how these beliefs about God show themselves in the way we actually live, right? But none of these things are true. None of these things are true about God. So we want to look this morning at what is true about God. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the doctrine of God confronts all of our tendencies, both to overestimate what humanity can do and to underestimate what God can do. So correctly understanding the nature of God is vital to our lives and to our faith. And so ask yourself this morning, 
What is my view or understanding of God? Is it based on the Bible? Is it based on like my own ideas? Is it based on TV or movies? Like if you ever watch TV or movies, there's some depictions of God that are often just like, okay, well, how did they get there, right? Or is it based on, is, like your, is our view and understanding of God based on what other people says or what society says? And we have to wrestle with that question. What is my view or understanding of God? And so this topic is foundational to our faith. And it's vital, vital for you and I to have clarity on because it will impact our day-to-day life. And so what I want to focus in on this morning is this. A correct view of God will lead us to live in humble worship, confident dependence, and loving relationship with him. So we're going to unpack those three things. Those, are, those three things are kind of the application of this morning. That when we have a correct view of God, we're going to see those things happening in our lives. And so what we're going to start with, though, is what is God like? We're, we're going to look at three truths about God, which if you'll notice, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. These are three truths, but each statement has two things. So really it's six truths. So it's a pastoral way to sneak in six things as three, right? So just stick with me, right? We're going to look at three truths about God, and then we're going to look at those three applications, all right? Poke the person next to you and say, stay awake, you're ready to go, good with you, all right? Um, here we go. If you're watching online, we can't see you, so you have that, that safety, you know, whatever. Okay, so the three things we're going to look at this morning are God exists and is eternal, God is transcendent and imminent, and thirdly, God is incomprehensible and knowable. So let's unpack these and see where we're going with this this morning. So first of all, God exists and is eternal. God exists. And so this morning, I'm approaching this sermon with the perspective and position that God exists. I say that to say, there is a great need in our world and a great many thoughts and arguments and resources in discussing and arguing for the existence of God. That's a really important thing. And there are very, very smart and intellectual people that can help us understand how can we logically see and understand the existence of God. But that is not my purpose today. This, one thing I read this week was this, is the Bible does not debate the existence of God, but rather declares it. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So from the very beginning, the Bible isn't wrestling with does God exist or not. It's just declaring that he does. And so that's how we're approaching it this morning. There is lots of room and space for the other side of things at different times, right? But that's my purpose this morning, not to debate the existence of God, but to declare it. We're talking about this concept that God exists. In Exodus chapter 3, God gives us a glimpse Total side note here, hang on. We're going to be all over Scripture this morning. So if you've got your Bible and you want to flip back and forth, go for it. It'll be on the screen as well, right? But in Exodus chapter 3, God gives us a glimpse of his nature and existence. And if you kind of the context here is God is sending Moses to rescue the Israelites out of slavery. And really, Moses needs some reassurance. Moses is like, I can't do this. How am I supposed to do this? How, how, why are they going to listen to me? And this is what God says in Exodus 3, 13 through 14. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said, Sorry, I'm stopping there. I am has sent me to you. 
So the way God describes himself here can also be, so he says, I am who I am. It can be translated, translated as I am what I am, or it can be translated as I will be what I will be, right? This is like practice with French verbs. Like if you're learning verbs, okay, I've got to know this, to be, to have, right, right? But what's happening here? The word Lord, when spelled in Hebrew with capital letters, stands for God's name, which is, you'll see on the screen here, Y-H-W-H. We would say Yahweh, right? But it's connected to this verb to be. Right? We have the verb to be, and we say to be, and in French, être, right? It's connected to this verb. But why is this important? Because I, I want us to see this. Because what God is doing, what God is revealing to Moses and revealing to us is God is telling us about himself. He's describing his name and his eternal existence to us. When God says, I am who I am, he's saying, essentially, I have always been I am. In any moment in history, in any moment in eternity, God says, I am. At that moment, I am. Down the road, I am. In the past, I am. This is who God is, and he's revealing to us his eternal existence. He's telling us that, he's saying, hey, I am central. He has no beginning. He causes everything to be. He is God. We see here God revealing himself in the existence of God. But not only does God exist, but God is, exists eternally. He has always been and always will be, right? We just, read, we just talked about Genesis 1. God was there in the beginning, existing even before the beginning. And this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we exist like in time and space, right? But God is eternal. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, God tells us, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. What's he talking about? Alpha and Omega. These are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And in Scripture, in other ways, commonly used to refer to God's eternal nature, that God is the beginning and the end, that there is no other beginning and no other end except for him. And this verse says, this is the God who was and is and is to come. This is the eternal nature of God. And we look and we're like, okay, I can't wrap my minds around this, right? We relate to the world through time, through beginnings and ends and seasons, and yet God is not like us. He is eternal, always existing, never stopping. So God exists and is eternal. Second point is this. God is transcendent and imminent. Okay, let's define these things and see how they work together. These are not words that we necessarily use in our everyday lives, but here we go. First of all, God is transcendent. Defined, it means this, that he is existing apart from and not subject to the limitations of the material universe. It means this, he is over all things and sees and knows all things. God's transcendence is the opposite of our limitedness as humans. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, we get a picture of this. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's transcendence tells us he is not like us. He is transcendent, above, not limited, holding all power and wisdom. This also speaks to God's holiness, his set-apartness. 
that in him there is no sin or guilt or shame, that he is different from us, that he is transcendent. He is above all of that. So the first point of this is that God is transcendent. He is greater than. He is above all that we understand. But God is not distant or unreachable. Because at the very same time that God is transcendent, God is imminent. Okay, to define that a little bit, imminent means permanently pervading and sustaining the universe. Right? If you said that, like, if there, if there was a storm coming and said, like, the storm is imminent, it means, like, it's upon us, it's here, it's coming. And this is what this means, that God is with us. Now, this doesn't mean that God is in everything, that God is in this microphone and God is in this table. No, that's pantheism, and that's not what we're talking about. That's not what imminent means. It means that God, because of his power and authority, is very present to his creation especially his people, in a personal and intimate way. That even though he is over all things, he comes near to us. He is present with us, available to us. And it's only a transcendent, all-powerful God that has the ability to also be present with us. And this is best seen when we, in what we see at the birth of Jesus. And in Matthew 1.23, we read, what God says about Jesus, his name is called what? Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This is God's eminence, God's closeness, God's presence. So God is over all things, and yet God is present with us. So God is both transcendent and eminent. Third point, third truths about God this morning. You awake? Okay, it's a little different type of sermon, so hang with me. God is incomprehensible, and knowable. You might be like, okay, what? what are you getting out here? Let me explain. First of all, God is incomprehensible. Because God is transcendent, there will always be aspects of God that are not, that are incomprehensible to us. Let me say that again. Because God is transcendent, there will always be aspects of God that we don't understand, that are incomprehensible to us. He is God, and we are not. We will never be able to know explain or understand everything about God. If we could, he would no longer be God, right? Paul, Paul describes this in two places in 1 Timothy. Paul is praying. I want you to listen to how he prays and how he describes God as he prays. In 1 Timothy 1.17, he says this, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And then in 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16, he says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. It's good for us to recognize that we can't understand everything about God. He is incomprehensible because he is above. He is transcendent. He is more than we can ever fully understand. Psalm 145 in verse 3 tells us this. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable, right? 
we will never fully understand the complete depths and heights of the greatness of God. This is why in our faith, there will always be an element of mystery and faith, right? There will always be these elements where we say, God, you have revealed yourself to us and we can know you, but we recognize that you are far above what we could ever completely understand. And that is a good thing, that there will be mystery. Because as limited, finite humans, a God that we can fully understand is no God at all. So God is incomprehensible, but as I've just said, God is also knowable. He has revealed himself to us because of his great love for us. He has revealed himself through his word. He's revealed himself through his spirit and through sending his son, Jesus. And the Bible tells us in Colossians 1 that Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, that when we look at the life and actions of Jesus, God is revealing himself to us. Think back to Exodus 3. God revealed himself to Moses. He says, I am who I am. And this great, mighty creator God is having this conversation with Moses, and it shows us that God in his greatness is also knowable, that God is not hiding from us. He has revealed himself to us. The Bible even says that creation itself speaks of the glory of God. Creation itself points us to say there's something more than what we know. God has revealed himself to us and he welcomes us to come to him and to seek him. So we've looked at these three three aspects this morning. Again, we could never fully talk about God, right? Because he's incomprehensible, right? But we've seen that God exists and he's eternal. God's transcendent and imminent and that God is incomprehensible, but God is also knowable. So what do we do with all of this, right? Our beliefs about God will determine the way we live, right? So this matters. But because God is all three of these things that we just talked about, I want to highlight three ways that it impacts how we live. Remember, our main idea this morning is a correct view of God will lead us to live in humble worship, confident dependence, and loving relationship with Him. Now, the opposite of that, true, opposite of that is true as well. An incorrect view of God will not lead, lead us to live in humble worship. It won't lead us to live in confident dependence or in loving relationship with Him. So first of all, when we have a correct view of God... And by correct view of God, I don't just mean what I am telling you. I mean what God's word reveals to us. If we have a correct view of God, we will live in humble worship of God. There's a guy that lived a very long time ago in the 1200s named Thomas Aquinas. And he said this about theology. He said, theology leads us to worship God. He said, the end of theology or the end goal of theology or the study of God is worship. The end of theology is worship. So that when we, when we see the greatness of God, what should happen is it leads us to humility and to worship. It leads us to be in awe of the greatness of God. We approach God recognizing that he is God and we are not, and we stand in awe of his power. Now, if we have an incorrect view of God, a couple things could happen. We could just be fearful and scared, or we could just say, I can do what I want. Who are you? 
But when we have a correct view of God, we come in humility. Oh God, there is no other God like you. You deserve all worship and honor and glory. You deserve every part of my life. You are worthy, which simply means worth it, worth all of me. That when we see God and all his beauty and his wisdom and his greatness, it leads us and prompts us to worship. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, the doctrine of God should lead to a greater sense of awe, a greater depth of repentance, and a greater ability to hear and heed the comforts and warning of Scripture. Why? It's because when our view of God is correct, then we correctly align ourselves with God. Essentially saying, God, you're God and I'm not, and so I come in humility before you. You're the creator and I'm the created and you deserve my worship. And so practically it means that he's the center of my life, not me. That's what most often happens. If we have an incorrect view of God, we become the center of our own little universe. But I don't deserve worship. You don't deserve worship. God does. And so as we make decisions, we can ask, how is God most glorified. This correct view of God leads us to say, in all that I do, in every decision, in my whole life, God, how can you be glorified? Because living in humble worship means that we get our eyes off of ourselves, off of our situations, off of our surroundings, and we put our attention on God. Because worship is a response to God. He has revealed himself to us, so we respond in worship. And sure, worship can be music or prayer or stillness, various things, right? But at its core, worship is correctly seeing who God is and responding with a heart of awe, adoration, and humility towards him. So here's the encouragement that I would give to myself and that I would give to you. Create space in your heart and in your day-to-day life to worship God to disconnect from the other things and to put your attention on God. And for you, maybe that's music. Maybe it's taking a walk. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it's stillness. Maybe whatever it is. But as we let God's word, as we read God's word and put it into our lives, we can then respond to God and worship. And I think another practical thing is, how, how does this show itself in our lives? When you read scripture, one of the things to, one of the best questions to ask is, as I'm reading this, what am I seeing about God? What is he like? What does he do? What does he not do? How does he act? How does he interact with humanity? Because when we see those things, God is revealing himself to us. And if we read in scripture and see, wow, God is faithful to his people. It then allows us to come to the point where we say, God, I worship you for your faithfulness. That as God reveals himself, we respond in worship. So I'd encourage you, maybe in the room this morning, you could tell someone next to you or if you're watching online, like, what does worship look like in your life? Let us know. Like, is that taking a walk? Is it putting in headphones and listening to music? Is it just stillness? Is it um, various things? So let us know. What does worship look like in your life? Because we want to be a people that say, you know what? Life is happening. Everything is going on, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to put my attention on God, who is worthy and deserving of my worship. So, a correct view of God will lead us to, um, to live in humble worship of God. Secondly, a correct view of God 
We have a correct view of God. We will live with confident dependence on God. So we ask ourselves, what happens when we believe that God is transcendent, eternal, mighty, wise, and present with us? Well, what happens is it leads us to confidently trust and depend on him. We can trust a God that's in control of all things. Think about faith. Like we hear things like walk by faith or take a step of faith. But we actually don't do those things blindly, right? We don't just like, okay, faith, whatever. No, we have faith in something. We have faith in God. We walk by faith because God has revealed himself to us so that we know that we can trust him as we walk by faith. We can trust that God sees and knows the big picture. I heard an illustration um, at some point a long time ago about a tapestry. So imagine like a big, huge carpety looking thing that's like a thing hung on a wall, like a tapestry, right? You guys with me? Um, I don't have any tapestries in my house, but you might. Um, But if you were to look at a tapestry from the back or from underneath as it was being created, it would look like a mess, right? There'd be threads hanging everywhere. You would be like, I don't know what this is, right? I I don't know what it's supposed to look like. It looks like chaos. And yet God the creator of this tapestry, they know what it's supposed to look like, right? In the same way, God looks and sees the big picture. And what we look and say, I can't figure it out. I don't know what's going on. God, why is this happening in my life? Where are we going with this? Why is this going on? What what is going on? And yet God sees and knows the big picture because of his wisdom, because of his transcendence. And so we can say, God, I trust you. I don't see the big picture, but God, you do. I can depend on you. Correctly viewing God will lead us to live in confident dependence on him. I think prayer is a practical example of that. Because our beliefs about God change the way we pray. This is why I think prayer is a really good indicator of our theology. Because a lack of prayer in our lives reveals that we don't truly believe that God is good or that God is strong. I have to repent of this often. I have to say, God, forgive me. There's been a lack of prayer in my life. It's because deep down inside, I don't really believe that it's worth it. I don't really believe that God is going to act or that God wants to act. I have to repent of those things and say, God, that's not who you are because you are able, you are good and loving and you want to work. So this matters And my hope for us as a church is that we can rightly think about God and believe God in such a way that it drives us to our knees because we realize his greatness and we realize our great need. This is why it matters and where it gets practical that as we're living our day-to-day lives, we're saying, God, I can't live without you. I need you. And it drives us to our knees where our prayers are not just, okay, let's say some words, let's have some prayer, let's pray before our meals. Those are all good things. But where prayer then becomes an actual expression of, God, I need you and I can't do anything apart from you. Think about life right now with COVID uncertainty and economic difficulty and all of those things. What we believe about God in the middle of this matters. Because if we can stand back and say, okay, I believe that God is in control. God knows what's going on. God's not shaken by our current reality. None of this is a surprise to him. 
And so when we begin to believe this, when we begin to remind ourselves of these truths, we can trust him. That as we face these things, we can trust God. We can trust a God who is strong. We can trust a God who is sovereign, who is eternal. We can know that God will walk with us through the middle of difficulty. We can trust him in the midst of whatever we face, and we can confidently depend on God. And the confidence doesn't come from ourself. The confidence comes from, God, you've got this. You know exactly what's going on, and I depend on you. Finally, a correct view of God will lead us to live in loving relationship with God. Our beliefs about God will shape our relationship with him. That God is a God who is near, who invites us near to know him in an intimate and personal way relationship. And this is an amazing thing. We think about this God who is holy, who is above all things, has made a way that you and I can know him. Because again, all of this today is not, all of this that we're talking about God is not just head knowledge. It leads us into relationship. It leads us into knowing him. We'll continue this in a moment. But as I begin to wrap up, let me think about this. Let's, let's talk about this. What you believe about God matters. So ask yourself this morning, what am I believing? Is it leading me to overestimate what I can do? To say, okay, well, yeah, God's there, but I've got to handle this. I've got to take care of this. I've got to do this. It all, it's all on me. Is it leading us to overestimate what you can do? I can handle it myself. Or is it leading you to underestimate what God can do. To stand back and say, well, is he really able? Can God really change this? Can God really move in this way? Is God able? These are questions you have to wrestle through and think through. What am I believing about God? Know this this morning. He is able. He is strong. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the eternal, faithful creator and upholder of all things that nothing in this world or outside of this world compares with him. Here's what I can tell you. God can be real to you in the midst of your everyday life. He's real to me in my life. I know God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience in the middle of my sin. I, I have felt and known God's strength when I'm weak and discouraged. I've experienced and seen God's provision and God's guidance and God's blessing when I had no way to make sense of it. I've seen my, my perspective completely shift when I take my eyes off of myself and put them on God. And many of you in this room could say the same things. You could share ways that God has done these things. And it leads us to say, you know what? We don't just know about God. We have a God that we can know. And that's my point in this. Each of us have ways that we can say, this is what God has done. This is how God has shown himself in my life over and over and over. And many of you can share that. But this morning, maybe if you're sitting there like, I don't know that. I don't feel that. I don't have those, that personal knowledge, personal experience. 
then this morning God is inviting you into that. He's inviting you to know him because God in his greatness and his power has made a way for us to know him in personal relationship. One more Martin Lloyd-Jones quote, right? He says this, he says, the first need of every soul is to be right with God. Nothing matters but that. The gospel starts with God because what is wrong with everybody is that they are in a wrong relationship with him. The gospel starts with God. We tend sometimes to say, okay, if we kind of can come to the point, okay, yes, I understand that I've sinned and I need God and I need God to come in and change my life and fix my life, which is all true. And yet the gospel starts with God, that he is the beginning. He is the creator. He is the holy God that we as humanity have run from, have rebelled against, have sinned against. He has not changed. We have, right? So this morning, ask yourself, what is my relationship to God this morning? What is my beliefs? What are my beliefs about God this morning? And the thing is, it's, it's probably not just like a one-time thing, right? We often need adjustment, right? We far too easily want to shape God into what we want him to be instead of who he truly is. So we regularly need God's word in our lives, correcting us and teaching us because we regularly start to shift. Okay, well, I think this about God and maybe God's this way when we need to run back to him over and over and over again. The gospel starts with God. The gospel starts with the fact that God is holy and we are not. But the good news is this, is that through Jesus, we can be made right with God. If you have put your faith in Jesus, through Jesus, you have been made right with God. You have been brought out of your sin and your brokenness into relationship with God. Be reminded of that this morning. Remember that. Let that truth sink in our hearts to say, the God of all things has seen fit to love me and to forgive me of my sin, to remove my sin. And this is why God sent Jesus, that Jesus being fully God, came to this earth and lived a sinless and perfect life. That God himself came and took our sin upon himself. He is not a distant God. He is a God who is close. And when anyone puts their faith in Jesus as the only way to God, when we put our faith and say, Jesus, you have given your life for me. I deserve to die because of my sin, but Jesus took my place. When we put our faith in Jesus, our sin and our guilt and our shame are removed. We are brought into relationship with God where we no longer just have to talk about God. We can know God. That he invites us into and restores us into relationship with himself and to what he designed and intended that we would know him, that we would be near him. And God's holiness becomes our holiness. Right? Because of Jesus and the work that he has done. And so this morning, maybe you just need to be reminded of that. Maybe that needs to be just part of our thanksgiving this morning to say, God, you have loved us. You have saved us. You came to earth. You stepped out of heaven and lived a perfect life and took my place so that I can know God. And this is 
rejoicing and thanksgiving that comes in our hearts. Or maybe this morning you need to say, I need to put my faith in Jesus. I've incorrectly believed things about God. I've thought that God was this or that, and yet this is who God is. He is a God who is mighty and powerful and over all things, and yet a God who reaches out to us so that we can know him. We're going to continue in worship here in a moment. I want us to hear that. A correct view of God will lead us to live in humble worship, confident dependence, and loving relationship with him. What is your view of God this morning? Are you exposing yourself to God's word on a regular basis and saying, God, would you help me to know more, who, more of who you are so that my heart can respond in worship? Because the more that we know God and know who he is, the more we can experience him in our lives and through our day-to-day -day lives. This morning, whether you're here in the room or watching online, if you have questions, ask them. We'd love to interact that way. If we, if we can pray with you or for you, we would love to do that. If you have questions about what it means to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, we would love to talk with you. But this morning, let's continue in worship. Let's respond with what God has shown us about himself. Let's pray.